years ago and never dreamed that I would ever even attempt it, let alone be a part of it. But I have thoroughly enjoyed this Bogalusa Bible Conference. I have been here every day at 10 o'clock. I've heard all the preachers. And I want to commend you for your hunger and reception to the Word of God. That is so, so scarce in these days. And I commend you for it. You have come and you've stayed and you've listened and you've absorbed as I have. And I know the Lord has blessed you. I keep waiting for you to run some dud in ahead of me, but you haven't done it yet. Don't you have anybody over here can't preach? I said, yes, I can hardly wait to see who they got picked out to run in ahead of me today. You did it again. Where do you go from up? Flat on your face, say. I want to thank you for the invitation to come. I appreciate Brother Cox. I just got a feeling Brother Kevin Cox might have had something to do with that. I don't know. He's our youth leader in Florida. And we thank you for him and uh, the good work that he's doing in the youth department in the state of Florida. I told you yesterday, y'all got a little head start on us. We didn't get the message as quickly as Louisiana did. But we're trying to catch up. We're playing a little catch up here. And uh, we're trying to start churches and have revival. And the Lord's helping us. I can report to you that we have 28 or 30 new churches in Florida that we did not have three years ago. And I thank the Lord for that. However, we still have 19 counties in Florida without a United Pentecostal Church. So we haven't gotten it done yet, but we're working on it. I have an insurance friend in Florida. He's one of these hyper fellows. He isn't in the church, but he's full of, old Brother Sassman used to say, Wim Wigger and Vitality. And somebody said, slow down, Steve. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. He said, yeah, but I wasn't working on that job. So we're working on that job. I want to borrow these musicians, may I? I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to sing an old timer ever since I got here, and uh, I can't sing like anybody else. But then they can't sing like me. Either. Somebody said that fella can sing higher in the crow's nest. However high that is, I don't know. Can't see if you will. You're gonna recognize this one. First song I learned, 1939. What a beautiful thought I am thinking Concerning a great speckled bird And remember her name is recorded On the pages of God's Holy word, it's soaring to lower her standard. They watch every 
every move that she makes. They long to find fault with their teaching. But really they find no mistake. She is spreading her wings on a journey that she's going to take by and by. And when that trumpet sounds in the morning, she will meet her dear Lord in the sky. I'm so glad I have learned of her meekness. And I'm glad that my name is on her book. For I want to be one, never fearing. And when he cometh descending from heaven on a cloud as it's written in his word, then I'll be joyfully carried up to meet him. great speckled bird and I'm so glad I have learned of her meekness and I'm glad that my name is on her book oh for I want to be one never fearing I just want to say how much I enjoyed preaching of Brother Oggs this morning and then my friend of many, many years, Brother Dale Spears, named after Brother D.L. Wells and Sekola. That's the truth. Praise God. We've known each other since both of us was four. I mean, long, long time. But I appreciate the word of the Lord. I appreciate your district superintendent and members of the board uh, agreeing for me to come. I've gotten acquainted with Brother Simpkins, your presbyter, and he's a blessed man. I've uh, seems I've known him all my life already. All of you that are here, and uh, what can I say about these men that have come all the way from Florida to hear their superintendent? What can I? Brother Harris from 
He's a Hollywood star. He's from Hollywood, Florida, all the way. I enjoyed his preaching the other night in the youth service. Brother Kevin Cox, our youth president, and then Brother Webb here today from Milton, Florida. I appreciate these brother and Kevin. I guess the greatest compliment one preacher can pay another is just to listen to him preach. Praise God. I'm going to be reading the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. And don't panic. I'm not going to dabble in prophecy. Uh, not much anyway. But uh, I have, uh, I brought an old chart. It's still in the trunk of the car. I haven't even got it out. I just didn't seem that that was the direction to go. And I don't want to just preach a sermon or teach a lesson. I want to I want to obey the voice of the Lord. And I appreciate the freedom in this pulpit. We've never been asked to don't say this or say that or hit this hard or leave that alone. We have had perfect liberty to, uh, to obey the voice of God. And this is what I feel that the Lord would have me say this afternoon. Would you look at the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel? Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Then the thirtieth verse of the same chapter, if I may, in that night, I want to emphasize that, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. My subject this afternoon, I hope it will be a Bible lesson or whatever, my subject is simply the last straw. The last straw. I don't want to say that anybody gets away with anything. I really don't believe they do. But I have noticed that God's judgment does not fall on every sin. If it did, none of us would be here. God is rich in mercy, long-suffering, and I, for one, thank him that he is. The Bible said, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. 
One writer said it lasted six months, 180 days. Ah, that'd be some kind of a feast. He drank wine before the thousand. When W. Sherrill was superintendent of the Florida district, I was with him on one occasion. The man said, Brother Sherrill, I want to ask you, did Jesus really turn the water into wine? Well, we'll start a controversy here. But uh, Brother Sherrill said, the Bible said he did. Well, he said, I guess what I really want to ask is, did anybody get drunk? Well, he said, if there was any Americans there, they did. <laughs> and he's probably right. What I want to point out to you is, human nature being what it is, there was a feast, whether it lasted six months or not, I cannot tell. But the Bible said a great feast, a king's feast. And uh, I'm sure you would agree with me that being the king, in fact, he was more than that. He was a king of kings. He was the emperor of the world's kingdoms at that time. That's right. He was heavyweight champ. And being the king of kings that he was, he spread a table, table second to none. And I say again, human nature being what it is, I'll guarantee you they ate too much. And no judgment fell. Thank God for that. The sign of the judgment of God fell on us every time we ate too much. Hallelujah. I knew a big heavyweight preacher, do you remember Brother Spears? He ate so much one night, he said he burped three times to give the altar call. <laughs> Just couldn't get anything else out. No, judgment fell. You can't read here. Where they ate too much and the angel of God destroyed the city. It isn't there. I don't want to say they got away with anything, but I want to point out to you, no judgment fell, even though they ate, perhaps day and night. Maybe slept on the floor and got up and ate some more. The Bible said they drank wine before the thousand. I am going to take the position that it was nothing less than a drunken orgy. A feast, drunkenness, revelry, whatever the latest group of entertainers were, the latest floor show, they had it all. And I wish I could do justice to that, but I want you to notice that even though they did that, no judgment fell. But in the midst of his drunken stupidity, Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar rather, did a silly thing, a very foolish thing. God did not judge him for his overeating and overdrinking and revelry and everything else that went along with that feast. But the Bible said he commanded them to bring the golden and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple of God which was in Jerusalem. Yes. 
Now I want to point out to you that these golden and silver vessels, and somebody here enumerated them a couple of days ago. I wish I could remember that. But he put it out how many hundreds you were. But these were holy vessels, right? They were sanctified. They were consecrated. They were dedicated. They had been used to carry blood and olive oil and frankincense and showbread, right? In the house of God. They had never been used for anything else. They were holy vessels. They were sacred vessels. They were consecrated vessels and had never been used for anything else. And Nebuchadnezzar may have not been the wise man of his day, but he was no idiot. He put them on display and left them alone. He shut them up somewhere in his trophy house and said, hands off, leave them be. Now, when Belshazzar had tried food and wine and merrymaking and everything else that you can imagine and looking for a bigger thrill, you know, a bigger high, finally he reached and said, bring me those golden and silver vessels that have been in that trophy house so long that my father put there. We're going to put wine in them. We're going to praise the gods of gold and silver and wood and iron and so on. And they brought them. They brought them. And they filled them with wine. And they raised them in the toast to heathen gods that do not exist. And God said, that's the last straw. Right. Oh, God. That's the last straw. You got by with the eating and you got by with the drinking. You got by with the dancing and the merrymaking. And flirting with the other man's wife and the other woman's husband. You got by with a swinger situation. But that's too much. That's the last straw. I've asked myself as I've driven the roads alone, who's going to tell the last lie? Who's going to commit the last murder? Who's going to rob the last bank, split the last church, steal the last saint? Glory, hallelujah. Woo, I can get on that. My God, I can write a book on it. I don't know all that. I, don't, I can't help you with that. But I believe I can help you with this. I can tell you the spirit, the atmosphere. The condition that will exist, that will result in this society of ours laying the last straw. Are you ready for it? It will be the day and the hour that nothing is sacred. Nothing is holy. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is too far out. They will dare to do anything. Now let me reminisce a little bit. The Bible said old man will dream dreams. So I'm right on time. I could always tell when I was a lad. When I had gone too far with my dad. It's been a long time ago. But I'll never forget it. 
See, my daddy was one of those that, that I told you believed in the stars and stripes. He put on the stripes and I saw the stars. We'd be off somewhere, maybe, you know, a town or somebody's house, and I can see him yet, pop his fingers, you know, and say, I'll whip you for that when we get home. I thought, uh-oh. Okay, buddy, you've had it now. And when we get back home, I'd fill the wood box. I'd trim the, the wick in the lamp, fill it with coal oil, bring in the wood and water. Not, not asked to, I'd just do it. He'll forget, he'll forget, he'll forget. But he never did forget. After a while, he'd say, come here to me, and I'd start crying. You ain't got nothing to cry for yet. I'm fixing to give you something to cry. You know what? I had done laid the last straw. I told you. And I told you. And those old timers didn't holler themselves hoarse. I wonder when our Pentecostal parents are going to quit lying. I'll whip you for that. And they don't mean a word of it. That's right. I travel around the Florida district. And I, I know it's not like this in Louisiana. But we got some of the meanest preachers' kids. Not like old brother Morgan. He said when he got saved, he preached against operations, surgery. He said, I used to preach. If God wanted you to have an operation, he'd put a zipper on you. <laughs> but he said, since I've been general superintendent, I've changed my mind. I've laid down in the house of preachers. If I'd have had a zipper on me, his little boy would have had me unzipped and had my parts scattered from down to dirty. <laughs> but those old timers didn't do that. I know some of you, your dad was like mine. When he said, I'll whip you for that, you could take that to the bank. <laughs> that, that was as good as gold. I don't care what you did, how good you got, you had done laid the last straw. Buddy, that's it. Oh. And the scripture says, when Belshazzar went far enough to take the sacred, holy, consecrated, dedicated, anointed things that came out of the house of God and polluted them and desecrated them and profaned them, God said, that's the last straw. Now I want to show you through the Bible here with some examples that this truth holds true throughout the Word of God. All through the Word of God. Not the day that nothing is sacred in your life. Nothing is holy. Nothing is off limits. You're on thin ice, buddy. You're walking on quicksand. Praise God. I'm glad that in the ranks of Pentecost, there's still some things that are sacred. They are holy. They are gold and silver. They are precious. They are hallowed. We will not pollute them. We will not defile them. We will not, we will not desecrate them. The Bible says, and, and, and I want to relate uh, some excerpts from the story, that Isaac 
and Rebekah had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, I confess to this audience this afternoon that if I had been growing up with those boys, Esau would have been my buddy. Does that shock you? I can't stand some sissified man. I'm, I've had it. I've had it with mannish women and sissified men. God help. I've had it. I'm sick and tired of having to walk around in front of somebody and see from the front whether they're male or female. <laughs> Praise God. Right. Yes. Charge that to my account. I said that. Yes. I believe men ought to be men and women ought to be women. One of the finest men in the Panama City Church had a, had a son that was absolutely no good. No good. And his dad and I talked to him. In fact, if you'll forgive me, he was a homosexual. And we were talking to him, and his dad was, you know, trying to talk to him. His dad was a precious man. And he kind of squeaked at him and said, God, make me like I am. I said, that's not so. That's not so. God never made a homosexual. Any more than God ever made a dope addict. Or God made an alcoholic. It's something they decided to do. God never made that. I'll tell you what God made. God made them male and female. That's what God made. That's what the book says. But the Bible says in the process of time and growing up, Esau was the oldest and he was the recipient of the birthright. Remember? Now all them that can read and them that can't know that the birthright consisted of a double portion of the father's goods. Everybody knows that. Well, explain to me then how in the book of Hebrews, the Bible said Esau despised his birthright. Hang on now. I know where I'm going. I got my landing strip already picked out. I know where I'm going. Esau was a Hebrew. And excuse my Kentucky grammar, but there ain't never been a Hebrew that despised twice as many cattle, twice as many sheep, twice as much gold, twice as many tents, they just now put together that way. That's not what he despised. I ain't never met a Jew yet despised two dollars. The only thing he loves better than two dollars is three dollars. If you do business with one of them, he's going to beat you, and I've got nothing but admiration for them. Because God said to Abraham, I'll bless them and bless you and curse them and curse you. So God bless you, Abraham. <laughs> Got nothing but admiration. Nothing but admiration. But I want you to see something here. I'm on the last straw. It was not the material side of the birthright that Esau despised. And yet the Bible said he despised him. In fact, it said he was a profane person. And a fornicator. Am I right? There was another side to the birthright. Yeah. Are you ready for that one? There was another side. You not only got two sheep to the other fellow's one. That's a pretty good deal. Two goats to his one. Two cattle to his one. Two servants to his one. Two dollars to his one. Two tents to his one. Sounding better all the time, isn't it? 
but you also became the priest of the household. You had to build altars, offer sacrifices, and teach the worship of God to the younger ones. And that's what Esau didn't like. I like the idea of two goats to Jacob's one, but I can't stand church. The Bible said he was profane. I believe he cursed the worship of God. I'm sick and tired of them blankety-blank altars. The blankety-blank sacrifices. The blankety-blank prayer meetings. I'd rather be hunting. I'd rather be out there. The Bible said he was a profane person. And when he profaned and desecrated and polluted the sacred altar and sacrifice and worship, God said, that's the last straw. And the book of Hebrews says that afterwards, and God bless your heart, there is always an afterwards. Don't you ever forget that. There is an afterwards. It is appointed unto men to die, once to die, and afterwards. Always an afterward. That'll preach, brethren. But I'll move on. Afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing of the birthright, he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully and with tears. What did he do? He profaned and desecrated and polluted the holy, sacred, consecrated things of God. In Esau's heart, nothing was sacred. In his heart, nothing was off limits. Nothing was too holy. Nothing was too sacred. And God said, that's the last straw. Am I right? Am I right? We have spawned a society, unless I'm sound asleep, we have spawned a society. Nothing sacred. Nothing is holy. Nothing that falls limits. Let me uh, let me use the Lord, if I may. In uh, I believe it's Matthew 21. Normally, I'm going to say 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time. Jesus was meek, lowly, forgiving, full of love, compassion, never raised his voice. Right? They brought him a woman taken, the Bible said, in the very act of adultery. And he didn't scream at her and say, you vile, contemptible person, you're a disgrace to womanhood, shame on you. He never said a word. Old crooked Zacchaeus hit the ground. Saying, if I've wronged any man, I'll restore him fourfold. He knew he had crooked everybody. But Jesus said, he said, today I must abide at thine house. Never screamed at him. In fact, I don't have any record that he ever screamed but one time. Hang on now, I know where I'm going here. All of his ministry, three and a half years of it, hundreds and thousands of people come, healed, touched, delivered, and he never screamed or yelled at them 
until he went into the house of God. And he found them buying and selling and bickering and bartering. And he made a whip. And he drove out the money changers. If you believe what you want to, I believe he hit a few. And he kicked some tables over. And the Bible said he cried, get these things out of here. It's written, my father's house should be called a house of prayer. And you polluted it. You desecrated it. Isn't anything sacred? Isn't anything holy? Isn't anything off limits? That you would buy and bicker and lie and cheat? Here in the house of God, get these things out of here. Yeah, all right. I'm going to say that in his ministry, when his house, that was supposed to be the house of prayer, dedicated to the worship of God, full of gold and silver, precious, holy, consecrated things, and it was no longer that way, he said, that's the last straw. I think we Pentecostals could take a lesson. I have prized enough chewing gum off the bottom of Pentecostal peas. Bless God to pay by ten from coast to coast. You'd be surprised. Maybe you get home, you ought to look. Jesus said, my father's house should be called the house of prayer. I'm not saying we can't laugh. I believe we can. But it's holy, consecrated, dedicated. I hope we never have square dances in our churches. Amen. Bless God. Or any of those kind of things. I understand some folks do. But I'm just saying here this afternoon in my own way, trying to be myself. That in the word of God, if I understand it right, the day that nothing is sacred, nothing is holy, is the day God says, that's the last straw. Now I want you to hear me say this. Nations can lay the last straw nationally. National sins bring national judgment. God said, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Individuals can lay the last straw. And that brings individual judgment. I thought Brother Spears going to preach all my sermon. He got on he got on a lot. And I'll get there in a moment. Then he got on this. And of course, uh, I don't know how other preachers do, but I look for reassurance. When I've got my mind set, I know what I want to preach. And some of these brothers have been teasing me about not having notes. I make notes. I'm not... I'm not all that smart, but I usually put them away and then just rattle. <laughs> That's what I'm doing this afternoon again. But I look for reassurance in friends when you get on this. I said, thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that uh, David, when he became king, one of the first projects that he undertook was to bring the ark back home to Jerusalem. You know that. Noble desire. I don't want to get into all the methods and the new carts and the way the Philistines. That's not what I want to get into. But he did try the way of the Philistines. It didn't work. 
put it on a cart, and it didn't work. And uh, I want to show you something right here along the line of the last straw. The Bible said that it had been in the house of Abinadab for many years. And uh, David's first attempt was to build a new cart, put cows to it for oxen, and uh, set the ark on it and pull it. Now, Abinadab had two sons, Uzzah and Ahau. That's some name, and I like Alan better. But uh, they started out with a cart, and they hit a rough stretch of road, and the Bible said the oxen shook the cart, and the cart shook the ark, and Uzzah put out his hand. Now, let me use my imagination here a little bit. That had been in his house for many years. You wonder why God smoked that boy dead. That seems pretty severe. All he did was try to help. Right? All he did was, my daughter was shaking him. He put out his hand and said, I'll hold him across this mud hole. And God threw him and he fell over. And fear came upon everybody. And David said, how am I going to bring the ark to me if this is what it's going to be? But the truth of the matter is, that ark had been in Uzzah's house, in his daddy's house, and he had grown up with it. And to Uzzah, it was that old box, that old chest in our house. Hello? It wasn't the sacred, holy, consecrated ark of the covenant of the law. Their blood had been sprinkled and the Shekinah had come down. It wasn't that. Not to use it. It was that silly old box in our house. And we're spoiling in a society, folks. We're spoiling a society. That these meetings are not sacred and holy. They, they just put a knot in their line. They just, you know, interrupt their day. Praise God. I want to say that when Yusha put out his hand to touch that old wooden box in irreverence, in desecration, how dare you take that filthy little unbelieving hand and touch the holy, sacred, consecrated things of God? Don't say it. That's the last straw. And he fell over. God said to Peter, what I have cleansed, don't you call common. You know what common is? Usual. I said yesterday, and I don't want to give you an instant replay, but I said yesterday, the day we're tired of routine, we won't last long. Praise God. I wonder how many times by the spears have I sung the great speckled bird. But I'm a good mind singing it again. I love Pentecostal worship. This, this good pastor told me, he said, you don't have to come every morning. You stay and refresh yourselves and get ready for the afternoon. I want to come. I wanted to hear these men preach. I didn't have to. I wanted to. I came because I wanted to. Preaching saved me. Preaching got me out of sin. Preaching, praise God, told me what to do. And the day it becomes so old man rattling or rambling, 
I'm on thin ice. God's about to say, that's the last straw. That's the last straw. That's the last straw. So it was not God's cruelty. It was used as irreverence. Look at it. Check it in the Bible. It had been in his house. He'd run past it. He had seen it and seen it and seen it. It became common. It became cheap and ordinary. It wasn't holy and sacred. It was just another old box. And he dared to put his hand on it, and God said, that's the last drop. Oh, man, I'd like to preach this to every deacon board in the UPC. Think they could hire and fire and, you know, run it? Bless God. Hallelujah. You mentioned preaching this morning, Brother Spears, that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. There's always an afterward. You remember that his uh, daughters married uh, uh, men of Sodom. Sodomites, I guess, for all the better word. But they married. He didn't intend it to end up that way, but it did. Due time, God revealed to Abraham was going to destroy Sodom, remember? Abraham interceded. I don't want to go into all that. But the Bible says in the next chapter that two angels came to Lot. I want to emphasize they were angels. The Bible starts out in that chapter. Two angels came to Lot. He sat in the gate of the city in the evening. I think I know how he felt. My God, I wanted to get out somewhere on the plains of West Texas to get a breath of clean air. I'm so tired of cigarette smoke, profanity, and and irreverence. I don't care if you are a preacher. You know, no respect. No reverence. You know I'm telling you the truth. Absolutely none. I've been run into, stepped on, walked on. I'm talking about in Pentecostal crowds. I went to the I went to the Holy Land with a group, and I'm not about to tell you who all was in it. But we had a bus assigned. It was a seat for everybody. And I like to got crippled every time they'd, they'd call for the bus. Everybody wanted to get in the front of the bus. I want somebody to answer a little riddle for me. Why does everybody want to sit in the front of the bus at the back of the church? If we preachers can ever learn them bus drivers' secrets, we got it. How they get everybody in the front and all of us sit in the back. I wish I knew their secret, don't you? Amen. But every time they'd open the doors and buses, my wife's a little slower than I am, but she's getting on up there, you know. She ain't here to defend herself. And she said, I never saw such disrespect. She said, you and me are getting a little great at it. You'd think these young folks would at least be a little respect, but they're not. Now, I know everybody's not that way, but there's too much of it. There's far too much of it. I'm preaching this afternoon that we need to respect and hallow and consecrate the sacred holy things of God. I told you yesterday, let me share this with you. When I got out of high school in Newcastle, Indiana, I went to work in Allison in Indianapolis, and uh, I was a tool grinder. Maybe I would have made a better tool grinder than a preacher, but at any rate, there was a black man that used to sweep around my machine, and he belonged to Christ Temple. 
the church that Bishop G.T. Haywood founded. You've been there. Fall Creek Boulevard, Paris Avenue, Indianapolis, Indiana. His name was Albert White. Never forgot him. Big, tall fellow. And he was a sweeper there. And when he found out that I was a Jesus name Pentecostal, man, I had the cleanest machine in the place. Because Brother Albert White liked to talk to me, and if he didn't have time, I'd pick him. I want to know what Brother Tobin preached last night. Tell me what his Bible said he was. And he'd give me a, a rundown, and he'd be there, you know, sweeping and telling me. And, uh, you know, he was black and I was white, and some of the fellows around there got to wonder, why is he taking up so much time? I said, Albert's one of my brothers. <laughs> Buddy, that went over like a lead cloud. I said, that's all right. Albert's one of my brothers, and we're just talking about family business. Don't let it trouble you. But I would say, Brother Tobin, he'd correct me. That's Elder Tobin. I like that. I've never forgotten that. I was just, I was about 19 years old. And I, you know, we always said, Brother, Brother Willispoon, Brother Kurt, Brother North. Not the Albert White. His pastor was Elder Tobin. And he wouldn't even let me say, Brother Tobin. He'd say, that's Elder Tobin. I like that. I like that. I'm not fishing for any kind of a title. But I am saying we need to respect and revere the sacred, holy, beautiful, consecrated, dedicated things of God. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot in Luke 17, so shall it be in the days of the coming Son of Man. The Bible said two angels came to visit Lot in the evening. And he rose up to meet them, bowed, took them to his house, brought them into his house. And by the way, in Luke 17, it don't say they married and were given in marriage. Them boogers didn't do that. They didn't marry. In Matthew 24, it said, as it was in the days of Noah, they married and were given in marriage. But it don't say that in Luke 17, talking about Sodom. I don't have to spell out to you the sins of Sodom, do I? No. I don't have to be any plainer than they didn't marry. The Bible said that the men of Sodom, old and young, old and young, yeah. surrounded the house a lot and said, bring these men out that we may know them. I want to shock this audience this afternoon. Lot said, my brother, do not so eager. I've got two virgin daughters. Let me give them to you. They said, we don't want them. We want the men that came to you. They were so depraved. They had sunk so low that they wanted to practice their devilly sin of homosexuality on the angels of God. You check it. You check it. You check it. They said, bring these men out. It wasn't enough that they practiced it on themselves and each other. But they wanted to go a little further, a bigger kick. And practice it on the angels of God. And God said it. That's the last one. Am I right? 
God said, that's the last law. And fire and brimstone. That's the last law. Last law. I walked up on the porch of a home in Panama City some years ago. And uh, the office racket, and I love music. Believe me, I do. I promise you, I like music. I try to. I don't. I don't even believe the saints should recognize it. Hey, world, why can't you stick with coming round the mountain? I don't care what you do with that. But leave when the saints go marching in alone. Why don't you go sing your own song and do your own thing? Why have you got to take the holy sacred hymns of worship and consecration and victory and jazz that up and rock that up? You're not getting an old preacher that don't believe in gospel rock. Who was it preaching that? Was it you, I believe, about preaching about Jacob working for Laban and uh, think he was going to get Rachel and he got Leah, served seven years and and uh, got Rachel instead of Leah. Say, Heavenly God, I believe that's where the song come from, seven years with the wrong woman. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, why don't the world do their own thing and leave the songs of God alone. I don't care what kind of a film Hollywood makes. All right. Leave Samson and Delilah alone. Leave David and Bathsheba alone. That's in the holy book. That's a golden story. That's a silver vessel. That's a consecrated story. It's in the word of God. And it was never, never, never intended to be uh, overcharged with sex and violence and all of that and spewed out of Hollywood. Amen. I'd sooner have a fox guard the hen house and have Hollywood portray the Bible. The name of Jesus. Is nothing sacred anymore? Is nothing holy anymore? Is nothing consecrated anymore? Is nothing off limits? When I cut my my school teeth in a little two-room schoolhouse in Wayne County, Kentucky, and no wonder this fella can sing. He's been to Mount Pisgah, Kentucky. That's where I was born, and he knows where it is. I had no idea. Only me and you and the good Lord knows where that is. Yeah. The sun sets between their town. But a little two-room schoolhouse, all eight grades. Big old farm boys, six-footers, 180-pounders, raw muscle and blood. And two little spindly teachers that wouldn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet, keep law and order. Figure that one out. You know what? If them boys misbehaved, and I saw this with my own eyes, that little teacher tells some boy that outweighed her two times. Go down there to the creek bank and cut me a good will switch. And then come back here and strip off your coat. 
You don't believe that happened? You better believe it happened. And you know what? The next day it was yes, ma'am. How far, how long, how high? Because if we got a lick in the school when we got home, we really got one. Now, if you so much as talk across the little Johnny dead and mom both go down to whip the teacher. No wonder they can't keep law and order. Ain't no wonder. I'm telling you there was a time that the school teacher was almost sacred. You didn't dare sass her. She'd slap the taste out of your mouth. Then when you got home, you got it again. I'm so sick and tired of hearing parents say, I don't want I can do a little Johnny. I don't want to bore you repetition, but bless God, my dad knew what to do. He'd have me saluting the table the next day. That's right. Brother Well said that ain't nearly right. That is right. But we have spawned a society. You know I'm telling you the truth. That nothing is sacred. Nothing is off limits. When I moved to Panama City a few years ago, hardly anybody in that east side of town, the Millville area, and don't worry about your paper mail. I'm familiar with that aroma. Smells like bacon and eggs. And you'd have to live in a paper mill town and know what I mean. But nobody locked the door. They'd pull a screen to so the cat and dog couldn't get in, but what locked. Dear Lord, today it's not only locked and barred, but they got man-eating dogs and 357s and double-barrel shotguns and police cruisers and crime watchers. When we built the new church on, on uh, Tyndall Parkway, Brother Kevin Cox knows where it is very well. We not only put locks on the doors, we put a burglar alarm on it. And about 3 o'clock one morning, the police are calling me. I was passing the church at the time. Reverend, run up here. We've, we've got somebody. And I went up there, and they had a grand old big boy with big presage. He was, I think, 17, but he looked like he was 25. And uh, they had got him. He had grabbed the door handle to the church, to the sanctuary, and had rattled it and set the alarm off. And before he knew it, a big burly cop had him and spun him around and said, what do you want? He said, I want in the church. And they said, are you a member? And he said, well, I want to be. So they called me, and I came up there, and they said, preacher, you know this fellow? They shined a light in his face, turned him around, said, never saw him before. I said, do I know you, son? He said, no, sir. I said, could I ask him? I said, son, what was you trying to do to get in the church? He said, uh, I want to see what was in there. I said, two in the morning? Why don't you come at church time? Well, he said, what kind of a church would put a burglar alarm on it? Bad enough, you locked the door. How come you put a burglar alarm on I said, they keep turkeys like you out. You won't come at church time. You wouldn't give a dime, bless God, to see the world saved. But you'll let hard-working people build a church, then you'll go in and vandalize it. You take him away and lock him up, and I'll be there. I'll invent some charges while I'm on the way. I don't think you can crawl any lower than that. I want you to know I've always been a preacher. I've always been a Christian. 
I've done a lot of things I'm ashamed of. Just like Brother Spears preached today, I'm not proud of it, I'm ashamed of it. But I'm here to tell you I never vandalized a church. I never even wrote in a songbook. I got you that time. That's right. Never tore a leaf out of a Bible. I got one loose in mine, but it's from where? Usage. I've never desecrated the Bible. I've never marked in a songbook. I've never stuck a wad of gum on a church pew. I've never rolled on the bathroom wall. Never have. Never have. I've never taken, I see a penny down there now. Belongs to the Lord. It's in the house of God. That's about the most I ever found all the years I swept churches. I'm just here to tell you the things of God are to be sacred. They are to be holy. They are to be consecrated. They are to be hallowed. And if you want to incur the wrath of God, you do something to his church. He bought it with his blood. It's the most precious thing that he has. He made everything else, but he bought the church with his own blood. He said, you're bought with a precious blood. Not just blood, the precious blood. And if I want to befriend God, I want to do something that God would smile on. Let me do something for his church. That's why I cut the grass. That's why I swept the floor. I knew nobody was going to say, we got to. You know, I told Alan when he took the church, I read this story, and I want to share it with you. When he took the story, when he took the church, rather, I thought of the story. A church that had a pastor for 35 years, like I was, and then they got a new pastor, and right away he called all the brethren together and said, Now, brethren, he said, we're going to have to make some provision to get the grass cut in the churchyard. Well, right away, one of the smart young fellows said, Well, preacher, the old pastor cut it himself. Yeah, he said, I know he did. And I talked to him about it, but he don't want to do it no more. <laughs> I said, I want to tell you, Alan, before you ask me, 35 years is enough. I don't want to do it no more. But I did it because I believe that's holy grass. Believe what you want. I believe that's sacred grass. That's the house of the Lord. Praise God. And the house of the Lord, that's a sacred place. I shudder when I look back after I preached my heart out and the Holy Ghost is moving. And we give an altar call and they're back there swapping yeah. notes and you know. Oh God. Oh God, where has the fear of God gone? Is, that, is it still that old box at my house? Is it still, you know, nothing? Just, just old pots and pans that don't mean a thing? Have we come to that? Have we spawned a society that this is not the holy book anymore? And this is not the man of God? And this is not the house of God? And that's not the Holy Spirit? And this is not the things of God? It's just another, just another gathering? Have we come to that? If so, if so, if so, God's about to say, that's the last one. The book said, he that is awful reproved, 
partner with his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. Not without rent. Welcome to come to Piano New Oregon. I want to tell you a little story here, and I've gone a little longer than I intended to go. But I've enjoyed so much being with you. This beautiful Louisiana hospitality, and I hope I've helped somebody. I really do. That's what I came to do. You have ministered to me. All of you ministers have, and I appreciate it. But I want to tell you this story in closing. In the church that I pastored so long, there was a young man that came. I'm going to call him Tony. He came and he always sat on the very back seat on my right. And that church at Panama City is pretty long, so he was quite a ways back there. And I went by, I suppose, dozens of times. He was a husky teenage boy. Put my hand in his hair and say, how are you, Tony? Fine, Brother Crabtree. Always very polite to me. But it was so apparent that Tony was just absolutely bored with church. And I figured out before long, Tony is living for the day when he don't have to come to church anymore. You can just read it. I'm here because Dad makes me. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm all for making him come to church. You make him go to public school. You make him go to that school so they won't be illiterate and ignorant. Why don't you make them come to church as long as you can? And say, as long as you're here, you're going to come to church. Now, you may not live for God. That's up to you. But it will never be my fault. You will never point me out in eternity and say, you didn't tell me. I'm telling you. And Tony came. But his heart wasn't in it. Many times I went back. All the service going on. Folks rejoicing, dancing in the spirit, being baptized laying prostrate on the floor, speaking in tongues, all kind of sacred, holy things going on. He said, bored with it. Get bored with it. Go back there and say, Tony, let me go. Go pray. I'll go with you. No. Went to youth camp one year. All the other boys got on him. No. 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 And finally, his 17th birthday was approaching. Reared in church now. Never broke. Never prayed. Never saw any response from him. He'd come, sit on the back seat, and at the earliest possible moment, out he'd go. And then this particular Friday came, and his dad had given him a little Mazda pickup early for his 17th birthday. He really gave it to him about two weeks early. And he was so proud of it. He worked after school. And then this particular Friday came, and his dad and mother, uh, his mother's a school teacher, and his dad is uh, disabled, and uh, they went down to Weebahitchka to their trailer on the river, fish camp, and uh, Tony was home alone. And you forgive this plain language, but you'll remember it after I'm gone. He turned to those that were working with him that day, and he said, Dad's gone, and Mom's gone, and I'm going to raise hell tonight. And he did. He got off work, got in that little Mazda pickup, went to a driving liquor store. How he bought it when he wasn't even 17, and I'll never know, but I guess they'll sell it to anybody. And he, he got very, very drunk. Now, whether he had second thoughts, was headed for the church, nobody will ever know. But he came around the corner, Kendall Parkway and Highway 22, we call it the Weewa Highway. He came around that corner so fast. He rolled that little pickup five times, and it skidded 93 feet on its side. 
He sheared off all the signs on the shoulder of the road. The steering column pierced his chest, and he literally broke his neck in the impact. The policeman told me, he said, if it's possible, he died twice. Once of the penetration in his chest by the steering column, and again when his neck broke. I cannot tell you which happened first. But his aunt and uncle came and woke me up out of the sound sleep and said, Brother Crabtree, and they're not members of our church, but they said, please help us. We don't know what to do. I said, what has happened? I said, Tony has killed himself in a car wreck and his dad and mother doesn't know it. And we've got to go tell him. We want you to go with us and you break the news. All that came back just in a, in a flash, all the replay, the Sunday nights, the youth camp, the revivals, the Bible studies, all the youth services, all the times I went back and said, Tony, let's go pray. No, no, I'm going to raise hell tonight. Mom's gone. Dad's gone. Anything goes tonight. It was a case of nothing is sacred, nothing is holy. And God said, that's the last straw. I want you to hear me. You don't have to be 99 to lay the last straw. You don't even have to be 50. The scripture said, he that is often reproved and hardeneth his neck. God will say, that's the last straw. Because he said they'll be cut off and that without remedy. I went to that trailer home. I knocked on the door. That young couple jumped up, knew me well. Brother Crabtree, how good to see you. For a moment, they just was oblivious to the hour. It was about four in the morning now. Jump up, we'll make some coffee. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You folks better sit down. And they did. And the silence fell on that little house trainer. And I said, I am the bearer of sad tidings. I am so sorry. I'd pull out my tongue if it would help. What's wrong, Brother Crabtree? I said, the young son that you left, hale and hearty and hard at work, is lying cold and dead in the city morgue. His mother let out a scream you could have heard for blocks. Oh, God. His dad broke up and fell on his knees. I said, I am so sorry. I had to preach Tony's funeral. But I'm here to tell you this afternoon that Tony did exactly what Belshazzar did. He did exactly what the men of Sodom did, in a sense. He did what Esau did. He did what the money changers did that I preached about today. Nothing was sacred to him. Nothing was holy. Nothing was off limits. Nothing. Tired of church. Sick and tired of going to church. It interferes with my fun. I wish there wasn't no Sundays. I read the story of a man many years ago in school. It comes to my mind now. He was a young officer in the Continental Army when our country was struggling 13 colonies. And somebody mentioned his oath and his loyalty, and he cursed the United States. And he said with a big V, the United States... I wish I'd never hear of her again. He was tried for treason and found guilty. And the judge sentenced him to have his wish fulfilled. Take this man and put him aboard 
a man of war at sea. Don't ever let him see the United States again. He can have newspapers, but there may be no reference to his country. Cut it out. Nobody can ever mention the name of his country to him again. I sentence him to have his wish fulfilled. Some of you will remember the story of the man without a country. Eagerly he would ask, how is things at home? And they'd say, I can't talk to you about that. He got papers and books with holes cut in them because they cut out any reference to his country, his home. He died and was buried at sea because in a moment of rashness, his country was not sacred to him. His oath was not sacred. My God, my God, my God. I don't want to lay the last straw. I'm an old man. I've been at it 47 years. But I want you to know it's still sacred to me. Yeah. I love Pentecostal worship. I love Pentecostal preaching. My preacher brothers, I love to hear you preach. That's why I come. I love preaching. I love the Spirit of God. I love what I felt last night. I love it. I believe in revival. I believe in the operation of the Spirit. I believe in the, the operation of the Holy Ghost. Those things are gold and they're silver to me. They're sacred. They're holy. They're consecrated. They mean so much to me. I don't want God to say that's the last time. I promise you one more story and I'm through. I passed when I was a boy foot boy in Kentucky. I passed an old blacksmith shop and I could close my eyes and see it. It's been a long, long time ago. And I've stopped many an evening after school for just a few moments and watched him turn the old hand bellows and eat a piece of metal and lay it on an anvil and beat it and then back in the fire and over in the water bucket and back on the anvil. I watched him make horseshoes and wagon rims and various things. But also over his shoulder, back out through an open window, there was a scrap pile. And I learned later when I became an adult that that's metal that wouldn't take temper or whole shape. It was absolutely worthless, so he just threw it out the window. And here's my prayer to God this afternoon. I want these ministers to keep hammering away on me, fire, the water, the anvil, back and forth. But dear God, please don't ever throw me in the scrap pile. Don't ever give up on me. Could you stand with me? Let's just reach out to him a moment. Praise God. Praise God. To tell how Jesus saved my soul when I was lost and facing dark despair. But mortal tongue can Such wondrous love and care. Sing it with me now. For oh, 
Come <laughs> on. 